0: Topic this morning that I honestly I'm very excited about. I'm I I love the Bible, I love the Scriptures. When when we think about the Christian faith, I I want to just step back for just a second. There's some things that we believe in that can only be explained supernaturally. Let me give you an example: the Virgin Conception. We're talking about a young virgin who became pregnant. Because somehow the power of the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and what was conceived of her was of the Holy Spirit. Look guys, that is bizarre. I'm just going to be honest with you. That that cannot be explained naturally. We talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They saw him nailed to a cross. They put his dead body in the grave on the third day. He was back alive again. He was resurrected from the grave. That is a supernatural event that cannot be explained naturally we talk about millions of israelite who who were delivered out of egypt by the hand of god and they're brought through the red sea on dry ground pass through the entire Red Sea on dry ground, get to the other side, and God wipes out the armies of Pharaoh in the midst of the sea. Guys, that is a supernatural event. There are so many things that we could read about in the scriptures that are supernatural that we have to accept and believe according to the word of God because they cannot be explained naturally. So ultimately, the Bible is a supernatural book. Now, in this study... We're gonna spend a lot of time talking about the creation and, and I love again giving reasons for why we believe in creation and, and not evolution and how evolution is not a tenable worldview and it does not line up or conform to the realities of the world that we see and observe around us and scientific observation and all that. So I'm gonna talk a lot about the earth and geology and the flood and fossils and we'll talk about dinosaurs and we're gonna talk about all kind of amazing things in this study when it comes to the earth. When it comes to our our home, this is where we live. This is the present reality. But do you know that there is an entirely different realm that exists that we can't see with our own physical eyes? There's no way we could possibly know what's going on behind the veil, per se, behind the scenes, unless who reveals it to us. God has to reveal to us what's happening in the supernatural, in the spiritual realm. And thankfully, God cares enough about what we know of the supernatural realm. Of course, we can't know everything. It's always going to be a mystery on some level. But he does provide glimpses, and he allows us to look behind the scenes, behind the veil, if you will, so that we can begin to understand that there are things happening all around us at all times that cannot be explained naturally. That's why it is what? Supernatural. And today's topic is a supernatural topic. And what I want to do today is I want to introduce you to the Benei Ha Elohim. It's Hebrew for the sons of God. And this is a fascinating topic, a fascinating concept. And so if we left off last week, if you're here with us, we, we, we really emphasized the person and work of Jesus Christ because the Bible gives special emphasis to God the Son, especially in regard to the fact that He is the creator of the universe that jesus christ is the image of the invisible god and all things were created by him and for him and through him and without him nothing was made that has been made and so there's special emphasis placed on the son of god jesus christ as the creator the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us and we spent a lot of time last week bragging on jesus because he alone is worthy of the entire universe and the honor and glory and praise as the uncreated creator of the entire universe and then to be so humble to step out of the glories of heaven and enter into his own creation to become an atoning sacrifice for our sin. I mean just the humility required for God to become flesh, Emmanuel, so that he could die in our, in our place on our behalf so that we might be saved and forgiven and brought back into the relationship With God that was lost. And that's the story and the essence of the gospel. And that's why I wanted to spend that time last week talking about the unique, the one and only Son of God. But the Bible tells us that there are also other sons of God that are also supernatural, and they're also spiritual beings. And I'm gonna, I want to take some time this morning really trying to break down from a biblical spe- perspective who they are, when they were created, what is their purpose, why are they even here, and how does this all really tie into the overall mission of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Because listen to me, we often consider the earthly mission of Jesus, we call it, from Matthew 28, we call it the great what? The great commission. We know that's our responsibility as believers. But also, did you know that there's a cosmic mission of Jesus Christ? That there's something else that he's going to redeem, not just on earth, but also in what? In heaven. In the heavenly places. And that's really what I want to focus on this morning. Now, I I want to just warn you on the front end that there may be some things discussed this morning that maybe you've never heard before. There may be some things discussed this morning that give you pause. There may be some things discussed this morning that make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. And the reason that I tell you that is because when I first really started trying to study and understand who are the sons of God from an Old Testament perspective, who are these heavenly beings that God keeps speaking about in all of the scriptures, I began to be a little bit uncomfortable because it challenged what I had originally really believed about the supernatural. Okay, Now, nothing that I'm going to share with you this morning violates sound doctrine. Nothing violates the essential doctrines of the faith. And we're going to see that here in just a minute. But I just want to give you a little bit of a heads up that there's going to be some things that we're going to discuss. And you're going to be, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. I, I thought it was this or, or I've never heard that before. I just want you guys to, to try to keep an open mind. Stay with me. And i want to make it all come together at the end. But here's the one thing I want to tell you. That when I had a proper understanding of who the supernatural spiritual sons of God really were, the entire Bible came alive in a different way that I did not read it before. There's going to be passages of scripture, and I'll share some of them with you this morning, that really don't make a whole lot of sense, and they really just kind of are on the periphery of things that we kind of avoid even sometimes because they don't really make sense until this makes sense first. Who are the Benei Ha Elohim? Okay, so let's jump in together. Genesis chapter 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, old King James, for some reason, translated Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven. That's an incorrect translation. For those of you who think that King James is an inerrant translation, it is not an inerrant translation. The word there in Genesis 1:1 is shamayim which is plural for heavens. Hebrew words have plurals just like English words have plurals, and this particular word used in Genesis 1:1 is actually shamayim. It is a plural word and I'm going to tell you why that matters here in just a second. So let's let's look at Genesis 1:1 in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So in the beginning God and we've established who that is. This is Jesus, God the Son who is Jesus the Word. He created everything in the heaven, Amen. earth. Listen, both visible and invisible. Amen. Both visible and invisible. Now let's talk about this Hebrew word Shamaim for just a second. It is a plural noun, not singular. Now the earth is singular. There's one earth. And again, there's special attention given to the earth in the scriptures because it is the, the stage upon which God's plan of redemption is carried out. So there's fascinating interest in the earth, but there is more than one heaven. Let me give you some examples. For instance, this Hebrew word, Shamaim can refer to the sky where the airplanes fly. But they didn't have airplanes back then yet, right? So where the birds fly, that can be called the Shamaim. It can be called the heaven, but it's also referred to in the scripture just as, as the sky. So this you know where the rain clouds are and where the birds fly, that can be called the heavens. But there's also another extension to that. When you go beyond the Earth's atmosphere and you get into outer space or the expanse of the universe, that can also refer to the what? The heavens. So we've got we we see that, right? There's earth's atmosphere, then there's the material known universe, which we defined last week. It is finite, it has an end. The universe is not eternal. It, it, there are boundaries to our known universe. We know that now, but the outer space can also be referred to as the heavens. But do you know the scriptures speak of a third heaven or what we call the highest heaven. Or as Miss Phyllis read, and I so thank you for reading Psalm 148, because we're going to jump into Psalm 148 here in just a second. The heaven of heavens. And when we talk about this third heaven, or this highest heaven, now we're talking about what I believe the Bible is referring to as the spiritual realm. This is the realm where the Spirit's... Exists. This is the invisible realm that we can't see with our own physical eyes. But this is the realm where God exists, where the Elohim exists, where the spirits exist, where these angelic beings exist. This is the place that is a spiritual realm. Let me share with you a couple of scriptures here. Nehemiah 9.6. It says, you are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host the earth and all that is on it the seas and all that is in them and we know that neither of them listen and the host of heaven worships you so we know that Nehemiah 9, six is not just talking about the sun, moon and the stars and the galaxies and the physical celestial bodies that we see through a telescope he's talking about supernatural beings the host of heaven because he says all of the host of heaven were created to what? to worship him to give him glory let me share with you a couple more. Psalm 148, praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Deuteronomy 10:14, behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven, even the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. 1 Kings 8:27, when Solomon built the temple, this is what he said. He said, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. And then Paul's famous verse in 2 Corinthians 12 kind of ties all of this together. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said to the church. He said, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. So what he's talking about here, he he wasn't caught up in outer space. He wasn't caught up into the sky where the clouds are. He was caught up into another dimension. He was caught up into a spiritual realm. And he called it the what? The third heaven. In other words, this is beyond anything that we can see in the material universe. This is a different place altogether. And listen to what Paul said. He said, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't really know. God knows. But I know that this man was called up into paradise. He calls the third heaven what? Paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. And so now we begin to see when Genesis 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens, plural, and the earth. I do believe that there is a precedent, as I'm going to show you here in just a second, that that included where the host of heaven, of this third what? This third heaven, this spiritual realm, where the host of heaven exists. The supernatural, spiritual sons of God here, as we're going to see in just a moment real quick turn to colossians 1 just to just to make it clear again as as we've looked at this pat this is one of the key verses in in our study because it, it emphasizes jesus as being the creator but i just want to read it to you one more time in colossians chapter 1 let me share with you from verse 15 and 16. there it is on the screen it says he jesus is the image of the invisible god The firstborn of all creation. Now look at what it says. For by him who? Jesus. All things were created in heaven and on earth. Now look at what it says. Both what? Visible and invisible. And then he goes on to kind of give us a glimpse into what does he mean by invisible? Well, he defines it. These are thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. So we're going to come back to that in a little bit later. But see, when Paul says that Jesus created everything both visible and invisible, he now gives us a little bit more of a specific detail about what it means to this invisible realm. And he's talking about these spiritual thrones, dominions, rulers, powers, authorities, principalities. It's all all throughout the the New Testament. As you begin to read, you'll, you'll start to pick up on this more and more. But he says that all things were created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Okay, so, so we're beginning to see now what the Scriptures are talking about when it comes to these spiritual beings. When you begin to read this, let me give you some names in the Scripture because there are many names when you begin to read the Scripture that refer to supernatural beings, okay? So as you're reading the Scripture, you may want to kind of just keep these in the back of your mind because when you see one, you need to pay attention, all right, let me give you some. They're called the sons of God, as we're going to see today. They're called stars. Some are called the morning stars. As we'll see that here in just a minute. They're called mighty ones, holy ones, spirits, heavenly beings, angels, archangels. Sometimes they're called gods with a little g. They're called cherubim and seraphim. These are specific uh, angelic beings or spiritual beings that the Bible speaks of they're called watchers and I think it's in first king it's in Daniel chapter 4 they're called princes and thrones they're called again cosmic rulers authorities dominions powers in the heavenly places now let me just let me just give you a qualifier okay when we're talking about any of these other beings they are superior to humans Psalm 8 says, God made man a little less than the angelic beings or the heavenly host. And he and he uses the word Elohim there. So he, he made us a little bit less than the supernatural beings. So they have this, this supernatural power and intelligence and mobility and immortality. So there are things about the supernatural realm that we're less than them. However, they are also less than and inferior to who? To God. They are created beings. They're they're not eternal in that sense. Their existence depends upon God because he created them. And so God is elevated obviously above all things. You have this spiritual realm that we can't necessarily see but there are beings and there's this whole thing going on in the supernatural realm that's invisible to us right now. Thankfully the Bible reveals some of that to us and then here we are as men on the earth. We're a little bit lesser in that respect to the heavenly beings. Now, I'm going to say this up front because this may help bring some clarity. By the time we get to the Old—excuse me—the New Testament, most of the references to these supernatural beings are coined using one term: angels. Angels kind of became a catch-all. So, in other words, anything to do with like the supernatural realm or anything in the vis- in the visible spiritual realm, by the which is, in my opinion, came around—they pretty much just kind of classified everything as. An angel, which is, in my opinion, is unfortunate because I don't think it really communicates the true nature of some of these beings. So I want to I come back to that in a little bit later. But for now, just understand that we're, we're talking about beings that the Bible sometimes just calls angels. But there's a little bit more to the story once we catch on. Number two, the host of heaven. Now, again, this is another a generic term for just all the supernatural beings in the invisible realm. They're called the heavenly host, because we're talking about a lot, many, many beings. We'll get to that here in just a minute. The host of heaven was created at some point, now listen, prior to earth and mankind. Now, this is where it begins to get a little bit interesting. Now, how do we know that the host of heaven, these supernatural beings that I just listed for you, how do we know they were created at some point before the earth and before mankind? Well, if you're reading Genesis, one of the things that may catch you off guard is that if you read the creation and you read chapter 2 and the creation of man and man's placed in the garden and then in chapter 3, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, who shows up? The serpent. Just like, out of nowhere, who, who is this serpent in the garden, breeding lies, trying to deceive, trying to disrupt God's plan? So out of, out of nowhere, in Genesis chapter 3, there is another divine being who is present in the garden, and we know he's not on God's team. Amen. He's an enemy of, of God. He's an enemy of mankind. So between Genesis 1 when God created everything and Genesis 3 when this serpent shows up on the scene, we have to deduce from that something went something went wrong. Not only that, but this serpent had to be created prior to his fall. And so a lot of people begin to come up with all of these of Satan of scenarios and theories about how to explain the creation of the angels, of Satan, of the heavenly host, before the creation of the earth and mankind." There is another scripture that gives us reason to believe that these angelic beings, the host of heaven, was created prior to the earth and mankind. Turn to Psalm, excuse me. turn to Job 38. Job 38. Now many of you know this passage. Job is like, hey, I just want to have my chance to give my defense before the Lord. And finally, the Lord reveals himself to Job, and I love it. He doesn't even really answer any of his questions. He just begins to ask him a bunch of what? A bunch of questions. And listen to what the Lord says to Job, and this gives us a clue, okay? He's saying, Job, dress for action like a man. Let me question you, and and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the what? Okay, now we're talking about creation. He's saying, Job, where were you when I began to create the earth? Tell me if you have understanding who determined its measurements. Surely you know who stretched the line upon it, on what were its bases sunk, and who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together, and all of the sons of God did what? Shouted for joy. All of a sudden, guys, we just gave we were just given a glimpse. Into the supernatural. We know that there's really one true witness to creation. God. He's the ultimate witness to creation. Because he was what? He was there. Okay. He did it. He's the eyewitness to creation. However. According to Job 38 right here. That when the Lord was creating the earth. He was laying its foundations. Okay. There were other witnesses there. And they're called the what? The morning stars, the sons of God. Who are these beings? Guys, these are the angelic. They are watching heavenly host who is present with God. And they are watching him and witnesses to his supernatural creative work of the earth. And what are they doing while he's creating? They're singing. They're worshiping the Lord. They're shouting for joy at the glory of God's power and at his creation. And so that's why it tells us here in the scripture that we have to put them as far as when these heavenly beings were created, we have to put them prior to the creation, at least right near the creation of the earth, prior to the creation of the earth and the creation of mankind. So that begins to become a fascinating aspect of Genesis chapter 1. Now let me share this with you. How many of these angelic beings how many of the heavenly hosts were there to, pr- pr- to witness God create it says morning stars the sons of God Do you know what the scriptures say first kings 22 Micaiah who's a prophet he saw a vision of the Lord it says I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with multitudes of heaven standing around him on his right and his left that's just a number to say there's a lot of them there's a whole bunch of them He couldn't even count them. Look at what it says in Daniel 7. There was a stream of fire that came out from before him, talking of the throne. A thousand thousand served him. Ten thousand upon ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. So what we see, guys, is that this this is just a small group of supernatural beings who are in the heavenly realm. These are millions upon possibly hundreds of millions of created beings that are in God's presence at the what? At the beginning. Okay? And so now we're starting to get a a more of a, a biblical understanding of who are these sons of God? Who are these morning stars? So I want to share with you number three. The biblical phrase, son of God or sons of God, always refers, listen now, it always refers to a direct and special creation of God. It's important that we understand this term, sons of God, because it always refers to a direct or special creation of God. This is the, the term, as I said before, the Beneha Ha Elohim, the sons of God. Now, in the Old Testament, it's used exclusively, it's used exclusively for heavenly beings. Okay, It's used exclusively for heavenly beings. We're going to see it in Genesis chapter 6. And one of the reasons I wanted to lay this foundation for you guys is because when we come to Genesis chapter 6, there's all kind of weird stuff happening with these sons of God that many of you may not have ever heard of before or studied before. And we need to know who they are right now because it's going to help us understand and explain what's going on when we get to Genesis chapter 6, which is the passage just prior to Noah and the flood. So it's real important that we have a good handle on this. Job chapter 1 and 2 also describe the day when the sons of God presented themselves before the Lord in the heavens. So again, these are direct, special creations from God. But I want to show you something from the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 3, he gives us the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And some of you may, maybe have not never picked up on this. But listen to what it says in Luke chapter 3. Again, it's the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It takes us all the way back to Adam. And in Luke chapter 3, it says, The son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahaliel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Adam was called the son of God. Why? Because he was a direct, special creation of God. Now, from Adam and his progeny all the way down to us, we have been, we're descendants of Adam. But Adam was a direct, special creation from God. Remember God, just like these spiritual beings were a direct, special creation from God. Remember, spiritual beings do not reproduce. They're made... Directly and specially uniquely by God in the heavenly realm Adam was also a son of God and then when we get a little bit deeper into the New Testament all of a sudden guys this is what is what will really help you begin to see what Jesus was all about in his ministry is that now believers have been given the right to be called the what sons of God because anyone who is in Christ is a what a new creation. A special, direct creation from God because the Holy Spirit of God gives us spiritual life. We have a new spiritual union with the God of the universe through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit and we become children, sons and daughters of the living God. Guys, we should never ever take that for for granted because it is only... Now listen, God is the Father of all people in a generic sense. But God is only the Father, true Heavenly Father to those of us who believe. Do you understand that? God is only the true heavenly father to the people on this earth who have trusted in his son and have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ and therefore they can be called the sons and daughters of God. Listen to what it says in the the gospel of John. I I just got to read it. Look he's talking again the word became flesh back in, in John chapter 1 verse 10 it says he was in the world and the world was made through him Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of the man, but born of God. That's what's so awesome about us is that we're in Christ. We're a new creation, spiritually reborn, born again. To be children of God and to receive that right and that inheritance that only now are the unique can receive. I could share with you so many New Testament passages that talk about how we now are the unique children, sons and daughters of God. I'm going to share one from Romans 8. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. And if heirs of God were fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So now you begin to see that there is a direct connection with these spiritual sons of God that, is, that were created in the beginning with a, the ministry and the mission of Jesus Christ to redeem and save people, sinners, and make them, make you and me, into the children of God. It is an amazing understanding when you begin to see the scripture in the fullness of its beauty. Now, number four. Let's talk about these, these divine sons of God, these spiritual sons of God for just a second. The heavenly sons of God were created to execute God's will in the heaven, heavens, just as man was created to obey God's will on the earth. Let me share a couple of scriptures with you. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word. Obeying the voice of his word, bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. You see, these these supernatural spiritual beings, these sons of God, were created to do God's will. To be loyal, forever loyal to God. To to worship him and glorify him forever and ever. Okay, so I want you guys to begin thinking in terms of a, a heavenly purpose for God's heavenly beings, and an earthly purpose for God's earthly beings, which happens to be fascinating glimpses. Now, number five. The Bible provides fascinating glimpses behind the scenes into God's heavenly government. And we're going to call this heavenly government, what the Bible calls it, it's called the divine council. It's called the divine council. And, And listen, I promise you, if you've never heard of this, You're going to see this begin to show up time and time again in the Old Testament and in the New. And it is a fascinating concept. So the reason I I put heavenly government up there is because I want you guys to begin to understand that just like there are a hierarchy of authority on earth, there is also a hierarchy of authority where? In heaven. It makes sense, right? If there is a heavenly government and God has created these other supernatural beings to work and in, in participate with him in association with him to accomplish and execute his will in heaven, just like he's asked us to accomplish and execute his will on earth, then we would understand that there is a hierarchy. There are some who are classified as higher angels than others. There are some that are classified as higher rulers than others. And there are some who are just on the low end of the totem pole. It makes sense, right? It's not that complicated for us to understand, but when you see the language in the scriptures, things really begin to come alive. Let me give you some examples. Let's turn to Psalm 82. I'm just going to jump right into this idea. Turn to Psalm 82. Jesus quotes from this psalm in John 10, by the way. Look at what it says here. I'm reading from the English Standard. Psalm 82, verse 1. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of, this is just a word, judgment. Now, now he's going to say something to these gods. Again, this is just a word, Hebrew word, Elohim. All right? They have a little g for God because these are not... These are not equal to God. They're lesser. They're lesser spiritual beings. Just trying to hold that in your mind. But he's pronouncing a judgment on them. Look at what he says. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? And You give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They neither have knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Now listen to what he says. The Lord says to them in verse 6, I said you are God's. Sons of the Most High, all of you. He just called them sons of God. He's calling these divine. Now, he's, he's angry at them at this particular time. And we're going to talk more about that later. Why is he angry at them right here? But he calls them sons of the Most High. And look at what he says. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. Okay, so that's a picture. Again, picture we have this royal court. We have God the Father seated on his heavenly throne. What happened to Jesus when he ascended to heaven? He took his place at the what? Right hand of the Father. He has his own throne. He's been exalted above every name that is named in heaven and on earth and under the earth. But picture this. In the Bible, that's, those aren't the only two thrones in heaven. Did you know that? Turn to Daniel 7. Let me show it to you. In the book of Daniel, he receives a vision that kind of that kind of begins to fill in some of the, the puzzle pieces. Let me read verses nine and 10. Daniel 7. As I looked, look at what it says, Thrones were placed, singular or plural plural there's more than one now the ancient of days this is Yahweh he took his seat his clothing was white as snow the hair of his head pure wool his throne was fiery flames its wheels were burning fire a stream came out from before him thousands of thousands served him 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him and look at what it says the court sat in judgment and the books were open it's a heavenly court It's a heavenly government with Yahweh on his throne and other divine beings surrounding him on their thrones. as where God has invited them to participate with him in ruling the heavens. That's what we're seeing right here in Daniel 7 and in Psalm 82. And if you were just a little bit concerned that maybe this isn't exactly what it says it is, let's go back to Psalm 89 right now, and I just want to show you how this, this passage ties everything together. Look at what it says in Psalm 89. I'm going to read verse 5. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. That's the divine counsel. This is this courtroom scene in the heaven. There's an assembly. There's a congregation. There's a group of beings that are all gathered together. We get the picture, right? Look at what it says. Your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? That's also another word for sons of God, the sons of Elohim. It says, a great God to be feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. Again, another picture that we see from the Psalms that give us this this unbelievable glimpse into the -the behind-the-scenes things that are going on in the heavenly places. Now again, why is this... Important Because, guys, I want you to see that everything that we talk about supernaturally... Because we, we break it down, good guys and bad guys. Angels and demons. That's the way we break it down. There's God, you know, there, there's maybe an, an archangel out there somewhere, and then the rest are just angels, and then the bad guys are demons. What I'm trying to help you understand right now is that angels, the word angel... Is more of a term of a function. An angel is really someone who carries a what? A message. An angel is a messenger. That's technically what it really means. It's, it's what you do. It's your function. And many of the angels are on the low end, of the of the totem pole. They just carry messages for God. They serve. They they they're winds. They're ministering spirits. All this. There are other divine beings. They're called the sons of God. The the holy ones. And guys, they are in positions of authority in the heavens along with with God now I know some of you may have never heard this before and I don't want to confuse anybody but if you've ever watched one of my favorite movies you understand that this particular movie kind of gives us a little bit of a glimpse into this whole divine counsel thing And let's, let's roll it and let's see if you find out what I'm talking
1: about I owe everything to George Bailey help him dear father Joseph, Jesus, and Mary, help my friend, Mr. Bailey. Help my son, George, tonight. He never thinks about himself, God. That's why he's in trouble. George is a good guy. Give him a break, God. I love him, dear Lord. Watch over him tonight. Please, God, something's the matter with Daddy. Please bring Daddy back. I love him, dear Lord. Hello, Joseph. Trouble? Looks like we'll have to send someone down. A lot of people asking for help for a man named George Bailey. George Bailey? Yes, tonight's his crucial night, you're right. We'll have to send a clockmakers. Whose turn is it? That's why I came to see you, sir. It's a clockmaker's turn again. Oh, Clarence hasn't got his wings yet, has he? We've passed him up right along. Because, you know, sir, he's got the IQ of a rabbit. Yes, but he's got the faith of a child. Simple. Joseph, send for Clarence. You sent for me, sir? Yes, Clarence. A man down on Earth needs our help. Splendid. Is he sick? No, worse. He's discouraged. At exactly 10.45 p.m. Earth time, that man will be thinking seriously of throwing away God's greatest gift. Oh, dear, dear, his life. Then I've only an hour to dress. What are they wearing now? You will spend that hour getting acquainted with George Bailey. Sir, if I should accomplish this mission, I mean, uh, might I perhaps win my wings? I've been waiting for over 200 years now, sir, and people are beginning to talk. What's that book you've got there? Oh, (laughs) The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Clarence, you do a good job with George Bailey, and you'll get your wings. Oh, thank you, sir, thank you. Poor George. Sit down. Sit down? What are we... If you're going to help a man, you want to know something about him, don't you? Well, naturally, of course. Well, I, keep your eyes open. See the town? Where? I, I don't see a thing. Oh, I forgot. You haven't got your wings yet. Now look. All right.
0: Sound familiar to anybody? Look, I was watching that this, this Christmas, and we usually watch that almost every year. And I'm watching that scene. I'm like, hey, that's... That's kind of like the divine counsel. Let me tell you why. God's not in that scene. These are lesser spiritual beings. And then who you have come up at the end? About us turning into angels. He's a what? He's a messenger. Now I may have to correct everybody else's theology about us turning into angels when we go to heaven. We don't turn into angels when we go to heaven. So there's a whole other issue about showing that clip, but I wanted you to kind of get an idea that this isn't a foreign concept. This is where God has other beings, divine beings, in his heavenly court, in his heavenly government, and guys, he's invited them. He's asked them to come be a part of my will, work, be, uh, accomplish my will, execute my wishes, because I don't want to just do everything by himself. Does God need help? No. But he so desires and chooses to use heavenly beings to accomplish his work, just like he has chosen what? Earthly beings, you and me, to accomplish his work on earth. And this begins to open up the scriptures, I promise you, in a way that you maybe have never seen before. Let me answer a couple of quick questions for you, because some of you may be thinking this, because I know I was. Ready? Real quick. Number one, doesn't this kind of sound like polytheism to you? Maybe some of you are like, who are these other gods? And, and we've talked about that before. These, this word Elohim can be used in the Old Testament to describe demons. It can be described angels. They can, it can be des- used to describe uh, pagan gods. And so it does not violate what we believe, that there is only one true God and creator. He is the most high God, and everyone else, everything else, is under him, inferior to him, created by him, Okay. So this does not violate this idea of monotheism because we hold firmly to the fact that there is no other God like the Lord. There is no other God like Yahweh from that perspective. So he, he is unique, okay? But let me give you some examples when we read in the scriptures. In other words, when God told the children of Israel in the Ten Commandments, what's the first commandment? You shall have no other Gods? Well, is he just talking about a figment of your imagination? No. He's talking about real beings, real spiritual beings that become the theme of the whole Old Testament. When you read the Old Testament, it's Yahweh, the God of Israel, against all the other what? Gods, all the other gods of the nations. You have Baal and Molech and the gods of Egypt and all of these false pagan gods that, that that are at war and enemies of the one true God. So it, it is very much throughout the entire Old Testament scripture. When we start talking about these other divine beings. Who are lesser than. They're not equal to the one true God. Like can that. Here's another one. Why does God need help? Like can't God just do everything by himself? Why would he even need a group, a council, a government? Why? And that's, that's the same question about you and me. Why, why does God ask us to participate? In his work here on earth. Can't, couldn't God do everything by himself? Absolutely. But he asks us and invites us to participate with him. This is one of the greatest things about God's nature. He wants to share in his will. And give us the, the responsibility and the privilege to work with him. In order to be his image bearers to the rest of the world. Now, i got to finish this up. And so I want to I share with you why this is so very important. Over the next several weeks, we're going to find out about three divine rebellions. Three. Most of the time when you talk to an average Christian and you ask an average Christian, why is the world so messed up? What happened? What went wrong at the beginning? We're always going to go to Adam and Eve. It's Adam and Eve's fault, right? We always go there. And we might talk about Satan because the serpent is found in the garden in in Genesis 3. And he, again, he's the one that, that leads man into sin and rebellion. So we know about that one divine rebellion. We're going to talk about him in a couple of weeks. But you know there's two other divine rebellions in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 6 talks about another divine rebellion. If you hadn't read it, go read it today. Genesis 6, 1 through 5. And then in Genesis chapter 11, when we talk about the Tower of Babel, there's no whole other divine rebellion where these sons of God, these rebellious sons of God are involved. And they're rebelling against the Most High God, Yahweh, the true God. And they become the gods of the nations. Why do you think all of the pagan civilizations After the flood and after the Tower of Babel, why do you think all the pagan civilizations all came up and sprung up at the same time? And what was the one thing that united them all together? They all began to practice pagan worship of all of these other false gods. Where did that come from? How do we explain that? And so that's one of the reasons why you need to have a healthy foundation. But I got to finish with one more thing, and we're going to sing, I promise. We got to get to this last point. The sons of God. Now, listen, a significant role. In the overall story of redemption. Now, listen, especially in the cosmic mission of Jesus Christ, who is the beloved Son of God. Now, I'm gonna share three scriptures with you. Now, based on everything that we've talked about today, I want you to listen to these three scriptures with different ears. This may help begin to open up some of the passages of Scripture that you maybe didn't understand before. But with this backdrop, with an understanding of who these divine beings really are, now some of the Scriptures begin to open up and we read them with some new pair, pairs of eyes. Listen, I'm going to read from 1 Peter chapter 3. I'll tell you what, yeah, 1 Peter chapter 3. All right, listen to this passage of Scripture, fascinating. You Ready? For Christ suffered for sins, excuse me, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now listen to this, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared. Okay, so have you ever read that passage? Catholics take this, and and they, they turn it into their own theological teaching called purgatory. This has nothing to do with purgatory. What's happening here is that if you have an understanding of these divine sons of God who rebelled against God, they did something in the days of... Noah, right before the flood, and they were put into prison. They're being held, their spirits being held in prison because of something terrible and profane that they did in the days of Noah. And it says when Jesus was crucified, he was resurrected in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in his resurrected glory, he went to the prison that these spirits are being held. And he proclaimed, it says, victory over them. Look at what it says. It says, in which a few, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism corresponds to this and it now saves you, not as a removal from dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Now listen, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the what? Right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. All of a sudden we see that in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he was exalted above angels and powers and authorities and above these spirits in prison. There was something else going on through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You think that's it? No, let me read this to you. Hebrews 1. It talks about how the sun is the radiance of God's glory. Look at what it says, talking of Jesus. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name that he has inherited is more excellent to them. The whole book of Hebrews is about how Jesus is superior to Moses. He's superior to Aaron. He's superior to all of the Old Testament saints. And he's also superior to these spiritual beings, these angels... Because he has been exalted high above every name that has been named in heaven and on earth. Let me read one more to you. Ephesians 1. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Notice all these passages have the resurrection of Jesus all connected, right? The resurrection is important. Look at what it says. Far above they and Jesus was seated at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Okay, I know that's a lot. But the reality, guys, is that when we have a very good biblical understanding that these angelic. Divine, supernatural beings, they go by many names, we covered all that today. They were created in the heavens, apparently prior to the creation of mankind. They were were given authority by God to rule and reign with him and execute his will in heaven. But we know now that something went wrong. It went wrong with the serpent in the garden, it went wrong in Genesis chapter 6, and it went wrong at the tower Of Babel, and the entire story of the Bible is connected to the fact that these divine beings rebelled against God. They have sowed so much seeds of violence and wickedness and evil on the earth. And guys, the whole battle is God is trying to redeem and reclaim mankind to give us the right. Listen, He's given us the right to become what? Sons of God, because the Bible says, Do you not know that we will judge the angels? Think about that for a second. We as divine redeemed children of God who have a relationship with Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God, we will be given authority to judge not just over the nations, but over the angels of heaven. Amen. We are elevated above these divine sons of God through Jesus Christ. It is fascinating to me. It opens up so many one process when you begin to look at it. From that perspective. So I know that's a lot to chew on. I know that's a lot to process, but we're gonna build on this from week to week, and you're gonna come back to this later and say, Oh, that makes sense now that I have a better understanding of who these spiritual sons of God truly are. Amen. Amen. All right, let's get our worship team up here. See if I can't make a couple of you guys late for your lunch. (laughs) Here's your application. This is what's most important. Hey, I can preach a sermon like that. I know it was kind of very theological. We're kind of jumping around, looking, trying to develop a case, kind of lay a foundation. But look, guys, here's the application for you today. You ready? I'm going to make this very, very practical. If you're here today and you're in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, there's something inside of you There's something, there's a witness, there's a testimony, there's something resonating inside of you that gives you this peace, it gives you this this joy, it gives you this presence. And you know what it means? It means that you know that you are a child of God. I want everybody in this room here today, please don't walk out of this room today unless you are settled and you are assured, and that you know and you are beyond a shadow of a doubt that you belong to your heavenly father, that you have been given this right, and that he is your daddy, he's your heavenly father, you love him, his love has been poured out into your heart, you know you have a relationship with him. Listen to me, if you're a child in this room, you know who your parents are. If you're a spouse in this room, you know who your wife is. You don't have to ask anybody if you're married or not. If you love somebody and you're married to them, you know that you're married, there's no doubt about it. How is it that we could not have a relationship with the God of the universe, the living Lord, Jesus Christ, and be confused about that and not know it? I want you to be settled in your relationship. God wants you to know and have assurance of your salvation. And this whole concept about being sons and daughters, children of the King, that we belong to God, that is part of our assurance that we know that we know. Because if you don't know. To God, And I don't want anybody to walk out of here with a doubt in their heart. Amen. Because if you don't know that. That's when you need to come talk to me. Amen. Will you do that? So we're going to sing one more song this morning. Let's all stand together. Let me pray for us. And we're going to sing as we close out. Heavenly Father. It's a privilege that we can call you by that name. Because Jesus has given us the right. And the ability to be called children of the Most High, that we are sons and daughters of the King, and I pray for every person in this room, Lord, if there's anybody in here who has a doubt or feels alienated from you or who does not have the assurance and the peace and the love in their heart that they know they belong to you, Lord, please give them the courage to come talk to me because I want them to know that more than anything else, that we, we can be called the sons of God, that you came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I thank you, Lord, for this promise. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. And all God's people said.